Welcome to Food Ed, the podcast that explores the vital role food plays in the classroom. Join us as we dive into the latest research, share best practices, and hear from experts in the field. Let's work together to create a school environment where every student can thrive. Let's become food educated together. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Food Ed Podcast. My name is Svetlana. I'm going to be your host. And today we have with us Dr. Stuart Grauer, head of school for Grouse School, and Nick Skaka, who is the science teacher. Welcome, you guys, to the podcast. So happy to see you and to meet you, and super excited to get to know you a little bit here on the podcast. Thanks um, for having us, Svetlana. Pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure. Um, so why don't we start out just with a short in- intro from the both of you. How about uh, some background, uh, what you guys are currently doing, of course, your passion, and let's not forget what your favorite food to eat is, please. Uh, audiences, they want to know. They, you know, it's a food ad podcast. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I started the Grower School in 1991 so that uh, teens could have more of a voice and the classroom walls could be broken down. And a lot of that means getting outdoors to natural spaces, uh, including uh, around the two Grower School gardens and our orchard and our chicken coop. Uh, and uh, so we're very much dedicated to naturalist education. We have a teaching kitchen where we're doing far, uh, uh, garden-to-table uh, classes. Uh, and uh, that's more Nick's Wonderful. bailiwick. My favorite food is chocolate. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, uh, so my name is Nick Skako. Uh, I'm a science teacher. Uh, I got into teaching science because I've always loved science. Um, I had really... Uh, growing up, like strong connections to being outdoors um, and a, a really strong love of animals. And um, then started teaching middle and high school science and being able to cook with the kids, being able to go on hikes and um, kind of find ways to, to broaden or connect them to the outdoors and connect them to a love of science um, has become my passion. Um, and my favorite food would have to be pizza. Pizza. Okay, very well. Wonderful. Um, can you tell us how you started the Grower School and um, the mission uh, behind the school a little bit, please, Dr. Grower? Yes, we had uh, not much of an emphasis on food or growing in the, in the out of doors originally because uh, I moved uh, from uh, Switzerland to uh, San Diego in order to study at the University of San Diego's doctoral program. And by the time I finished that program, I was so broke, the only thing I could do was borrow a shopping mall uh, in order to start the school. And we started with seven students uh, in that mall. And, and uh, But over the first year, one of the dads was so happy with what we're doing, he, he bought us a uh, van. And... Uh, uh, so I always said we had the, the largest campus in San Diego, which was San Diego. And, of course, the first thing we did was to start to uh, visit natural ecosystems uh, everywhere. Uh, and it grew every year. It's capped right now. We're a uh, small school by intent and design. 
and capped at 150 students. 150 students. Oh, and now we're now we're on six acres, uh, and uh, have uh, lots of room to be uh, cultivating things, uh, and uh, even have a, our own forest on the grounds. And and is the school K through 12? No, it's just secondary. The the need that we were addressing to begin with was teens. Uh, I I think that. Uh, uh, public education provides good alternatives for all ages, but what I found in particular was that teens were the ones that really were trying to develop an independent voice and couldn't do so properly in the large schools. So when you say teens, what grade levels is that? Well, it's even even sl somewhat slightly before teens. So it started out as grades 9 through 12, and nine through through 12. cajoling okay. of the parents, uh, I, I, I was kind of coerced into including a middle school as well. So now it's grades uh, 7 through 12. 7 through 12, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And tell, uh, can you guys tell us a little bit about your school and students and your community in general? Like who, <laughs> where, you guys are located, we're in San Diego. I want you to take that one next. So, yeah, gotcha. Um, so we're in North County, San Diego in Encinitas. Um, the okay. campus is probably about two miles from the coast. Okay. Um, and uh, as Stuart said, we have like a coastal sage scrub kind of natural area um, that's part of our campus uh, for in perpetuity um, that's, that's on the land um, that we kind of steward. Okay. Um, and does your, does the school currently um, has any health, wellness, and nutrition initiative that you guys are doing or teaching? How wh what are you guys doing in that arena right now? As as if we speak today. Um, so I, I guess I'll take that on. I feel like so there was not like a um, an outside initiative that was brought in. It wasn't like a California statewide. We've got to eat healthy. But I, I, as soon as, or as long as I've been there, which is over ten years, there's always been the culture of showing what, showing kids what whole foods are, eating healthy, being active, the importance of uh, of a healthy diet, um, and that was kind of, I mean, I'm a science teacher, and so that was part of my curriculum. But I, I feel like the health class, the social studies class, these are kind of threads that run through many different um, uh, programs through the school. Yeah, I think okay. health and wellness um, is, is clearly like a core value at our school, uh, not only in what we eat, but uh, in, in the way we, we behave. The whole, uh, the whole campus is quite green. We don't allow plastic bottles and things like that on campus. Uh, even all of our tones and colors and materials are, are natural and taken from nature. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And how do you guys feel about food education? Um, how do you both feel being educators? Um, how do you guys think it should be done in schools? And um, are you all aware of the obesity and diabetes epidemic we have going on with the kids and them being basically obese or diabetic by an early age of 12. Where do you think that, um, you know, we can 
help in, in that arena? Or how do you feel that should be addressed just with your opinion, really, basically well, here? Wow, Nick, I know you've got a lot of ideas on this, too. But uh, I got to say, it's a constant battle. Uh, uh, one of the things I just like most of all is are the vending machines that all schools have. And I it seems like several times a year I have to get in the same fight over and over again with them. I get rid of all the unnatural stuff and it sneaks right back in. Uh, and you just, it's just, it infiltrates everywhere. And it's not like you create a policy and then you're done. You're actually never done. And health and nutrition is something uh, where an area where we have to be constantly uh, vigilant. Um, my, we've started orchards not too many years ago, and they're still growing in. And my real dream is that our kids will be picking their snack off of our trees. That, that, that sounds uh, fantastic. I, I love I think that. The, the, I think the uh, uh, environmental uh, – we have a health class that every year – has uh, twice a year has uh, health cook-offs where the students uh, and this is every student in the hall school has to go through this course uh, has to go through this we have a health cook-off and they they have to uh, uh, prove uh, why th what they're creating and shopping for uh, is uh, sustainable and healthy and uh, we're very very cognizant and very upset and concerned about the obvious um, epidemic that's going on in obesity, uh, diabetes, uh, and it it really relates and pertains to to other conditions such as anxiety and and depression. Uh, so uh, I think food education is at the heart of that. Uh, and there's one more issue I want to bring up before we take it over to my wiser partner Nick over here. Uh, and that's food waste. Uh, it, it's aside from uh, causing an enormous amount of uh, um, carbon uh, impact on on Earth. Um, it's just terribly uh, immoral the amount of food that gets thrown away. And, and uh, Svetlana, you would have the data more than I would. But you, the only way you cannot be shocked about food waste is to not study it or look at it. <laughs> Nick, thoughts? I, I, I have full, full agreement with you, uh, Dr. Grau, full agreement. That, that's that, that's an also a big issue that's going on, too. It seems like we have a lot of issues that are going on. And um, uh, you can't even hardly throw it away. You're, you know, you're, there are extreme restrictions on uh, how you're allowed to reuse the food. In San Diego, there is a, uh, a new program which is quickly gathering uh, uneaten food and redistributing it, so their efforts are being made. But uh, schools have some of the greatest promise in the whole country for capturing unused food and 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 reusing it quickly. If we can create the distribution systems for that, I agree with you. I think that's one of the problems to tackle for sure. Um, tell me a little bit about the kitchen you guys have. Are you guys cooking on premises with the children or? What goes on that in that kitchen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like Stuart said, the health class does the healthy meals. Um, with environmental science class, I would say at least once a month. Like we try to go with the seasons, um, so the kids are kind of learning um, to eat seasonal cooking. Uh, eats, yeah, and cook seasonally. Um, so finding recipes that they really like, um, where the food is the freshest, and we like harvest stuff from the garden. And then we go in and cook in the in the teaching kitchen. Um, uh, yeah, 
So when, so you guys have, um, so all of the kids that are in the schools, they get an opportunity to be in the kitchen, to go to the orchard, you guys, right? And they get to, an opportunity to cook. And are you, um, when you're teaching your science classes, are you bringing in the nutrition and the wellness in the science classes uh, as well with the hands-on or, or, or not really? Are you bringing that in right now or no? Yeah. So I would say, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, like in, in all the science classes, I would talk about kind of where the food that, um, a lot of the food that they eat comes from or mm -hmm. that history of like processed food, um, mm -hmm. and, and how it's made for them to like be addicted to eating it. You know, the, the fats, the sugars, um, are, are kind of designed to make them crave that food. This episode is brought to you by Rainbow Chefs Academy. Rainbow Chefs Academy provides turnkey nutrition and wellness training for schools, home-based and after-school programs. For more information, please check the link in the show notes or visit rainbowchefsacademy.com. And now, back to the show. That that's 100% correct. Uh, uh, Dr. Grauer is you say you're from Switzerland, right? Yes? No, I was born in New York in, and I sort of cut my teeth oh, on teaching. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, at a fairly early age, I moved to Switzerland because I became interested uh, not only in skiing, but in the international schools and uh -huh. the stature okay. of teachers in Europe. So I spent uh, five years there as a young teacher and principal um, before moving to San Diego for the University of San Diego program, a doctorate in education, which was wonderful. What do you, what was, what do you feel was the major difference that you saw between teachers in U.S. and teachers in Europe and Switzerland? Is there a big difference in, um, in the teaching methods or anything that you can share with us? What do you think? I, Ironically, I think teachers, uh, even, even though teachers in Europe have a higher stature socially, uh, they are mm -hmm. saddled more with uh, standardized uh, bureaucracies, testing requirements, uh, and the, the kids mm -hmm. in the United States have more choices. And uh, I love that in the U.S. Um, uh, we, can, we, can, we can play more and we can take longer amounts of times before determining. Uh, by the time you're in uh, mid-high school in Europe, uh, you can feel the pressure to uh, be determining what you want to be when you grow up, what your profession is, uh, where you're going to get routed, whereas in the United States, the thing that you're worst at in 10th grade can end up being your passionate profession. So that, that that's one difference. Uh, but uh, I, I think... Uh, there's tremendous promise in, in, in both uh, systems. Uh, in the end, I concluded that I wasn't really going to be wedded to either public system and that I, in order to uh, have... Um, that's why you created a, your own school, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much it, is that I really... Uh, no criticism of the great things that large schools can do, but they can't do what small schools can do. And uh, small schools uh, were losing ground for no research. Uh, all the research shows that smaller schools 
uh, can do more in terms of connection and safety uh, and even academic performance. But for 120 years now, uh, public schools, at least in the United States, and I believe in Europe, have been consistently getting larger. And so that rules out things like uh, uh, orchards and, and things that were originally at schools uh, very commonly. Now they're blacktop, even uh, even lawns and grasses now largely been overtaken by plastic grass and, you know, uh, yes. t artificial turf. Uh, there's no room for these types of things. And uh, by making room for them, they become a part of your day-to-day -day education. Sometimes directly educated, as like Nick, he's a great teacher, can put it right in the curriculum. But even uh, subconsciously, even just having it being a part of the environment um, also stimulates greater connection and safety uh, and a calmer form of learning. Yes, I, I agree with you very much. I, I believe that... Um, Small schools also, you know, the, the, they have the ability um, to do things not only differently, but to really concentrate on the community and the students and uh, to do more things with the children because uh, they're just a smaller, you know, smaller community. Um, I also feel like what you said about the food, the sugar in the food, I, I always wonder if that's you know, if that's in Europe as well, and or just U.S., um, I think we as educators and as a community have to really decide how we're going to work together to bring the basics of health, wellness, and nutrition to our kids. Because it seems that if we don't, then we have this glaring issue. But at the same time, I'm just thinking, okay, what, what do you, you being on the daily in the schools and with the children and with the teachers, what, what do you guys think would be the solution to, to that uh, problem? Is it, you know, education? Is it being more outdoors? Is it uh, more of a process of learning? What, what do you guys think would be the best way for our society to change this particular um, issue that we all have? Yeah, you know, it's it's different in the area that we're in, what is available to kids in our community versus kids in other areas of the city. So you have some kids in areas where there are food deserts and there is no access to fresh whole foods. They would okay. have to go to a small corner store and basically what they can get is, is processed foods. Um, mm. And so that's like... Uh, you know, a huge, huge difference in what, what's possible for, um, you know, different groups of kids in different areas. So, yeah, so I, I think also, that uh, location the, plays a you big get part. to food education after you kind of winnow it down from some larger purposes. Uh, you know, how, how are you going to get there? And to me, with the small school model, uh, that, that offers a very distinct education that can get you there. There's the personal attention. Uh, you have, when that leads to greater participation of all the kids, uh, there's a lot easier communication, and so the teachers love it more. You really know your kids. Uh, you have a lot of flexibility in the curriculum, so if you want to sidewind into 
uh, food or some of the natural uh, ecosystems that you're in. You can integrate those in your curriculum. Uh, the small campuses are safer and easier to supervise. There's much more accountability. And with that, what you get is a greater community engagement. And so that engagement, yes. we have parents on our campus growing that food with the kids. Uh, we have smaller wow. class sizes so they can actually go out and be in a garden or be in an ecosystem. Uh, the school starts to take on an identity, a culture, and then even kids can start to get that buy-in for how, you know, how to be healthy and how to be a, a healthy participant, what it's like to be a member of this community. And, and so part of your identity becomes, you know, this, um, this whole ecosystem. Uh, it's, it's, it's holistic. It's not bureaucratic. It's not a system. You can, you can say, let's have three classes in food education and nutrition, and that's fine. But then it becomes a task for the kids, whereas in a smaller community, it's a part of it's a way of life. So the, these are some of the small school advantages that I think uh, we can uh, we can bring into food education and health. I think that's wonderfully said. I think that that's so true, um, and I applaud you for for such a wonderful um, creation of the school and the community uh, that you have created. I think that uh, what you've done is amazing. Um, so I have created a network of educators and people that really care about our next generation, and they are called Partners in Health, and it's a network. Um, I would love for you guys to join this network with me and with, with all of us. We've got um, schools, we have educators on there. Um, I want to thank you for today because it's a real eye-opening to hear uh, how much you guys are doing for a small school. You guys are a small school, but you guys are doing big things. Um, and I would love to have you back on the podcast in the future. Um, I will be sending you our Rainbow Chefs Academy backpack as a thank you and including you in our Partners in Health Network, uh, being in touch and meeting because only together, I believe, can we really solve this problems and have the roundtables that we're, we're having to see how we can actually get food education, health, wellness, and nutrition to our community and to our young children so that they could have a healthier and lead a healthier lifestyle. So I want to thank you both. Um, I had a wonderful time and so enjoyed getting to know. And I love the history behind the school and the orchard. I always want to go over there, check all that out. I think that's a, I think there's nothing better for the kids and the parents and the community to be involved in something like this. Uh, because I really agree with what you said, Dr. Grauer and Nick, uh, that it becomes a way of life instead of not only education, but it becomes a way of life. And I think that's how kids really get it is when it is part of their life. So you guys, thank you so much for being guests today on the Food Ed Podcast. And I look forward to seeing you and being in touch. Um, I'll be sending you a backpack. And I hope to see you guys soon. And thank you again very, very much. Good to see you all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you much. for your great work. Thank you. Thanks for all you're doing. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Let's work together to create a school environment where every student can thrive while becoming food educated together. We will see you next week on Food Ed. Thank you.